Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston. I am the co-host. Charlie is not here. It's just me today, except for this guy I've got via Zoom, who you might have seen floating around because he did a, an amazing job in these recent debates. I've got Mr. Michael the Beard White running for U.S. Congress in Arkansas's 2nd District. How's it going today? Man, it's great, man. Glad to uh, be here with you, brother. So just as a backstory for everyone, we may or may not have met because I made a, a comment on the video questioning this, uh, this beard, this beard gate problem. I wasn't the only one that brought no. it up. I told, I told my wife about this last night. I was like, yeah, I'm talking to this guy. I kind of started off by, you know, I don't know, somewhat insulting his beard a little bit. And uh, she was like, babe, those are real people on the internet, you know, you got to apologize. So listen, it really was the fact that I am envious of what you've got going on. I've never been able to, to quite reach that level, but I'm trying. I mean, I joined the beard club and I'm trying <laughs> to grow right now. Okay. I'm going to, st- I'm going to stop talking now. Well, well get- we could, we could put the, the rumors to rest. It was, it was kind of funny, honestly, like, you know, 95% of people seem to not care. Right. And there are 5% of people. And I've received tons of messages. Half are like, Hey, do you dye your beard? And I say, yes, I do. And they go, it looks awesome. And then half are like, do you dye your beard? And I say, yes. And they, you shouldn't do that. And so my common response to those messages are, um, show me on the doll where the beard dye touched you. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. There's no, yeah. rules. There's no rules saying that saying that you can't. I mean, totally. I, don't, I didn't think I violated the nap. I mean, like it's my my hair, you know. I mean, like, yes. You know. That's Tell me right. how bad it hurts. Yeah. Individual rights. That's what you're standing up for right now. But just uh, you're talking about putting the rumors to rest and everything. I mean, for you know, just get like a little tug on that thing. Let's make sure it's not like strapped back behind your. It's real, man. It's there. Okay. It's, it's an, and also the color is called real black. So I know it's real then too. So <laughs> it's real. Listen, it's real, man. I want to confirm to everyone listening. If you're not watching the video, which you should on YouTube, he did in fact pull on his beard. It was a real pull. It did not come off. This is in fact a real beard. So beard gate finished. It was fake. Over. news. It was fake. It's news. fake news. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> All right. So give everyone your backstory. How did you get to where you are right now and why you're running for office? Of course, we always got to go with the uh, how long have you been a libertarian? What made you libertarian? All that stuff. Let everyone know. Sure, man. Uh, so I guess that's kind of two questions, but let's tackle the first one first. My background. Um, I'm originally from Louisiana. Um, I was uh, in business in the telecom business for about a better part of a decade, decade, two years, 12 years, something like that. Sold a company in 2016. Um, I had vacation property here in Arkansas for many, many years. I love Arkansas. It's my favorite place in the world. Always wanted to live here. Uh, my wife had an opportunity to relocate here for a, for a position. So we came here. Um, and the kind of the impetus for running for office, I think is similar to what a lot of the candidates that we're kind of putting on the ballot right now are, which is just how bad things got. Right. Um, I think at some point in time in the past two years with the whole, uh, Cerveza sickness, uh, issue going on. I'm going to try to not use some words to keep the algos from suppressing us. Thank right. You. Thank you. We okay. Yep. So, um, with that whole thing going on, uh, I, at some point in time, you sit there, you're watching the television, you're talking to yourself, you're talking to your friends, you're talking to your family, and you just want to stop complaining and start doing something. Um, 
And two years ago, Ricky Dale Harrington here in Arkansas, who's running for governor, he ran against Tom Cotton, a senator here in just a two-way race and kind of got a lot of media attention because of that. And when this election cycle came around, the Libertarian Party of Arkansas um, kind of put out a call to action, said, hey, come run with Ricky. We're fighting for ballot access. We we got the state legislator, we state legislature, we sued them. And if we get 3% of the vote, we can maintain that ballot access. So let's stack the ballot with candidates, kind of increase our messaging everywhere. And if you can help, come help, right? And so uh, that's kind of how that whole thing started, really. And uh, it's, again, been an honor and a privilege to be doing that. But as far as being a libertarian, I would say that my red pill moment was probably somewhere around 2006. Uh, there was a film you might remember, Aaron Russo's From Freedom to Fascism. Mm. Uh, you may be familiar with it. Other people may. Uh, I remember watching that film going, man, you know, I've known that things are dysfunctional. I've known that things are, are not working right. I'm about 24 years old at the time. And that really kind of sent me down the rabbit hole of investigating, you know, my own government, my own political beliefs. You know, I was part of the 9-11 generation. It was, I was 19 years old when that event happened. It was my generation, my friends who, who got shipped off to those, you know, unjust conflicts. Many came back, some didn't. The ones that did all came back with either scars, seen or unseen. And, and that really kind of progressed my journey. And then, of course, you have the Ron Paul era and everything else. And so, uh, you know, that's kind of when I became a libertarian is I started realizing that most of the things that divide people today, they're divided about because the government has power over them. And if they didn't, they really wouldn't care about much of these things. And that's kind of that's where I am and, and kind of how I got here, man. Yeah, totally agree on that. It, it all has to do with uh, we say all the time that everyone's fighting over a gun. The government's a gun. We're all afraid of what the other person might do if they get a hold of it. And if we didn't have that gun right there in the middle uh, then we wouldn't hate each other quite as much. We're just scared of what the other guy's going to do when he gets it. That's, you're a hundred percent correct. And, and one thing I've kind of messaged to voters is that, you know, we make a better America by removing the unjust powers for, from government, not by fighting over who gets to have them. And that's what we've become as the political machine in this country. I mean, it's kind of always been that way, I guess, for you know, a long time, but you could argue that that has really increased in rapidity and voraciousness over the past 20 years. And so uh, I think that's the way that we solve so many of these issues is we have to we have to get that out of, out of government, get those unjust powers away, um, not just keep handing the cattle prod off to another side. You know, now re Republicans talk a lot about how they want to decrease the size and the scope of government. And I'm sure that your opponent in the race, I mean, if he gets in, he's going to reduce the power of government. Right. <laughs> yeah, they, they talk about it all the time. Um, they, they love it as a talking point. They don't seem to actually want to do it. You know, it's uh, this is a, a very red state. And so a number of voters I talked to have voted Republican pretty much their whole life. And when I have to remind them of the fact that, you know, it's not the Democrats fault necessarily that things are the way they are. I have to point out that, hey, over the past you know two decades, Republicans had a you know, an unopposed government for nine years. They still managed to run a deficit, still grew the size of the government, passed red flag gun laws against veterans, you know, renewed the Patriot Act, unjust spying on American citizens. They kind of get this glaze over their eyes where they're like, I never really thought about it like that. And that's, again, what this is about is we have to carry that message to people and let them know, hey, you know, you probably as a voter only pay attention to these things once every two to four years. And you hear these talking points and you just accept them. Let me tell you the real story. Let me pull the you know, the curtain behind and show you what's really going on in Oz. You know. Now you're you're 
Democratic appoint, uh, opponent. I saw the district that you're in. I was doing some research on it. Still a Republican district, but the sure. most Democratic of the districts, right? Like a, because you've got Little Rock in your district, right? So you do have a big city. Yeah, there. you could you could say that. I mean, you could argue that Northwest Arkansas might this election lean a little more Democratic because of Fayetteville and Eureka Springs and some places up there. But uh, yeah, I mean, for most part, this is probably the most Democratic district in the state. Yeah. Oh, where we would agree a lot with Democrats is are things like criminal justice reform. They talk a lot about that. I mean, when Democrats have power, they pass massive criminal justice reform packages, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that 94 crime bill just was such a great thing for the criminal justice system and reforming. It made it so much more fair and just and let so many people out of prison. I mean, exactly the same thing. And uh, and again, most, you know, we're here in Little Rock. So you got to remember that a lot of voters are Clinton era Democrat voters. OK, uh, I guess you call them yellow dog Democrats, whatever. And so they sort of have an idea in their head of what they think the Democrat Party is supposed to be. And so they're very apt to listen to the message because somewhere deep inside them, they know that the party has left them a long time ago and has moved their messaging and their focus away from, hey, we're going to try to be for the working man. We're going to try to be for balance of power, you know, meaningful social reforms to let's just be woke and get everybody mad about everything. And that's what we're going to do. And and so, again, that's been really that's been really beneficial in the conversations I've had with voters when I get the chance to talk to voters. Now, how often do you hear that you're going to spoil this election and steal votes from either one of those? You're you're going to ruin the election for both of those people is what you would hear from both of those sides. Where do you come down on that issue? I'll admit, first off, I've been sympathetic to the argument before in the, you know, things are getting so bad that I will I will admit, I will say, man, I I don't like Republicans either, but gosh, dang it. If I just, I don't want that Democrat to get in the office because good Lord, you know, if we, maybe we've reached the point of the lesser of two evils is still the best evil that we can find. Where do you come down on that, that conversation? I mean, you know, the only way that I can come down on it is, is so there's a, there's a local radio show that has me on at least a few times and they, uh, they, they're pretty good about putting me on air. But, you know, kind of when I'm off the air, every now and then that topic gets brought up that I might, quote unquote, spoil an election. And I, I try to remind people, hey, if the Republican dropped out of the out of the race tomorrow, we would win this thing in a landslide. It wouldn't even be tight. So who's really spoiling the election, in my opinion? Who's really spoiling it? Is it me that actually stands for these principles and wants to actually enact them, the things you really believe in? Or is it the person who keeps claiming for now four terms and now going to be a fifth term that they believe in and never has done so? Um, and, and again, that's all you can really say because people are going to – this system has been so deeply ingrained in the American you know, ethos of, of it's this versus this, and it's going to take time messaging and slowly but surely i believe we're going to change that to where people realize hey you know a third voice really makes sense i was in a uh, an event and i was asked a question or a question was posited like what do could i expect to do is just one libertarian in congress one of 435 voices what can you really do and you know i made the point that hey uh, most significant legislation in this country comes down to a 51 49 split super super tight we're talking about a handful of votes two or three votes all of a sudden, if you have a single voice that's different, Arkansas Central District becomes very strategically important, right? 
What, what are they going to do that's going to benefit liberty? What are they going to do that's going to benefit us? And that's been another good messaging. And, and I would hope that maybe some of the national candidates can kind of carry that too, because you really do see the, the lights come on in people's head and they go, oh, wow, you're right. Like, that does make sense. We really only have two seats really in Congress. So even if you're just one of 435, you're still now one of three. And it changes the dynamic, you know. It's also once you get that one in there, it opens the door for that people to see that and like, oh, this is possible. This can happen. I, I think you get one elected. I know Amash switched over to Libertarian while, while he was already in there. Um, you get that one elected in the Congress. I think you get a, I really think you get the ball rolling once people see that that's a possibility. So yeah. I really hope and, that it happens. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, my, my Vegas odds aren't pretty, probably pretty good, and that's okay. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I view this the same way a lot of federal candidates and other people uh, view it. And I can only speak for myself. I can't speak for, you know, Libertarian Party of Arkansas, and I certainly can't speak for LP National, so I'm not doing that. But, you know, what I kind of see is that we kind of win from the ground up. You know, local offices, we start with city council, start occupying those seats, quorum courts and, and things like that, your school boards, you know, local elections. That kind of gets the idea going. Then you have some state reps, state senators, you know, your treasurers, your things like that. And before you know it, we're kind of building up and then all of a sudden one or two federal seats. And I think it could possibly be accomplished in three or four election cycles. I really do believe that's possible, you know. So I, I was going to say, I went through your website earlier and once again, compliments on that because you've got not just ideas out there. You've got actual policy proposals out there on your website. I mean, it's not like Elizabeth Warren level policy proposals out there where you got like every single thing down to the decimal point, but that's okay because that's boring. But you do have policy proposals and I might add, it's not what you would expect a libertarian to be throwing out there for policy proposals like uh, tax reform in taxation, uh, you know, inflation in the Fed, uh, all <laughs> yeah. that. That's and because I don't know where you come down on stuff like that, but I actually liked that your website wasn't all about all that stuff because it's, let's face it, it's not practical right now. Yeah. And it's, and, and, and so I, I've, I don't know if I've coined the term or, or I've started to popularize the term, at least here in Arkansas, but I believe in this concept of incrementalism. You know, we're not going to take people in the matrix and, and then say, hey, you vote for me and I'm going to end everything that you've ever assumed to be part of reality. Now, do I would like to do that? Would I like to do the Morpheus moment and bring you out of it and show you what this, you, you know, what I believe we could have? Absolutely. But we have to slowly wake these people up and slowly begin to unwind these things. So do I want to end the IRS? Would love to. But how about we start with some meaningful tax reforms and simplifying the tax code? How about that? Right. Um, do Would I love to have a world with open borders and free trade? Absolutely would. But let's find some common sense ways to fund our federal programs, make things safer, you know, you know, respect the decency of these people, those kind of things. And when you talk about that with people, they realize, OK, this isn't the same sort of libertarian talking points we've gotten before. Um, so I, I thank you for the compliment. I worked very hard on those. And, and again, some have been stolen from other people. You know, it wasn't like I just wrote them all myself. But but thanks for that, man. I appreciate yeah. that. Um, you mentioned immigration there for a minute. So I wanted to, to tell you, I think you and I align on this pretty well. I philosophically am open borders. I also think that it would be useful to know if someone who's on the run for murdering his family is trying to get across the border and come into the U.S. I, I think that that's a useful piece of information. 
And not a bad piece to have, right? No, yeah. No. And so all I want, and all I really want, is a system. You put the you put the name into the system. Okay, this government, they're not on the run because they murdered their family. Cool. See ya. See you later. Welcome. Here's your gift bag. And, right. You know. So where where do you come down on that? I think I, I read something similar to that without the gift bag because you might have to use taxpayer money to pay for the gift bag. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's we, there's kind of moral hazards on all of it, right? I mean, like if we talk about, you know, a fair immigration system, you know, I, I really think balance is kind of three principles in my platform. You know, we respect the decency of these people. We understand it's a legitimate human rights crisis. Like, don't forget that these people are human beings. They're occupying the same rock floating through space that you are. You know, the second thing is I don't believe that our immigration system should cost Americans anything. You know, I believe in free markets, and I think that America is one of the best products on the planet. And so I believe the demand for that will pay for those things, right? And you know, the, number, the third thing is part of this issue is kind of systemic and tied into criminal justice, tied into the war on drugs. You know, if we were to undercut these revenue streams of you know narco-terrorism and human trafficking, and, and we had people, uh, we were able to get that eliminated, we can make a fair, more balanced system that kind of that makes that happen. Um, it, you know, I interviewed an ICE agent when I was writing that policy and I said, hey, man, you know, I turn on the news and they say, hey, these people are being smuggled in. What are they paying to be smuggled in this country? And he goes, man, it's between five to fifteen thousand dollars. We've intercepted people that were paying thirty thousand. And he said that the sad thing is, is that the ones who pay the most when they get here, they sometimes get held hostage because the people know they have money and then call back to the family and say, hey, we got your brother-in-law here. He already paid us 30. If you want us to get, let him go, get us another 10. So I think about that from a business perspective as we can undercut that revenue. You know, so a pay-to-enter, pay-to-stay program, I think makes a lot of sense. Simplify it, say, hey, you want to come here? Here's, you know, whatever that fee is, let's let the market kind of figure out what it's going to be. Pay us. We're going to, we're going to document you because we kind of have to. I know there's some moral hazard with that too, big data, stuff like that. We're going to, we're going to streamline your citizenship. You're going to, you're going to pay for this process. You're going to help fund our agencies. And while we're doing that, we're unwinding this war on drugs, undercutting narco-terrorist profits, I believe with, again, I would like to see free, you know, markets, but I think that initially legal regulated drug markets are probably a better transition. Um, so we can kind of tackle those things. And so I might've been a little long-winded in that answer, but it's, it's not a simple direct thing that you can say. Um, I can't just say, let's build a wall. Right. And, and unfortunately, the electorate and a lot of times wants those simple answers. Right. They just want you to say, hey, let's build a wall. It's not going to work. It's not that simple. And so, again, it's a system of issues. But, yeah, th- th- I'm talking too much. man. I'm, I'm handing it back well, to you, brother. And sometimes <laughs> the thing that like as libertarians, we tend to be a little bit better off is finding the source of the problem. So you're talking about the drug war. You're talking about what what. What are the incentives that are causing uh, a lot of the problems that we have? So like on the drug war, as a libertarian, your uh, your perfect society is everyone being high on heroin all the time, right? <laughs> yeah, apparently to yeah, some people, yeah. that's their opinion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, what would you, uh, you know, you, you said uh, something about uh, legal, regulated drug market, stuff like that. So, uh, you know, it's for the people who assume that you want my siblings to go to Walmart and buy some heroin starting right after the election. Uh, where do you, where do you come down on that? Man, you know, one of my, I have a lot of good favorite Ron Paul quotes, but one of my favorite ones was from a debater, an issue one time where he said, if heroin was legalized tomorrow, how many of you would go start doing heroin? Right. 
Um, and I'm of the belief that, you know, prohibition doesn't end anything. It just ends legal markets to things. You still have the things going on and you nailed it on the head about identifying the source of the problem and the, the ingredients that are causing the issue. So we have these two you know, agencies right now. We have the Department of Health and Human Services and we have the DEA. We have people employed by them. We have budgets assigned to them and they have certain tasks that they're focused on. Um, I believe a good transition to get these, again, get the, the illegal drug trade out of business and begin to kind of take addiction in this opiate crisis, again, caused by co-opting between large pharmaceutical companies and government, is that we kind of refocus those roles to, again, legal regulated drug markets. And we already have the distribution points for those. They're called doctor's offices. They're called healthcare facilities. They already exist out there. It's just a matter of, again, kind of dismantling that CSA, kind of refocusing our roles in the personnel. And I think within two to three years, we could have a lot of that under control. And we could probably have 98, 99% of addiction kind of dealt with. And then maybe we can regroup and say, okay, now what do we want to do? But we've done this for 50 years. We've spent trillions of dollars. We've locked millions of people up. We have just as many drugs more dangerous drugs than before. And I tell people all the time, hey, in legal regulated drug markets, you know what the dose is and you know what you're getting. And that to me is infinitely better than some kid in college who says, yeah, you know, I'm a little drunk. Maybe I'll, I'll have some of this with my buddy. And then he's dead, which is happening now all over the country, right? So that, that's my kind of take on it. Is it perfect? No, but I'm not trying to be perfect. I'm just trying to be a little bit better than where we now are. a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Do you ever get stuck focusing on problems and not the solutions to those problems? I bet you do because that's totally normal. Heck, we talk about problems like 80% of the time on this show. But the day we spend talking about solutions, that's actually the most important one. I mean, seriously, we got so many things going on. The economy, society, our personal lives, of course. It can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode. But there's no better feeling than learning how to find your own solutions. No matter how big or small, a therapist can help you become a better problem solver. And honestly, it feels pretty weird to talk about therapy, as I do a lot on here. But I've done it, and it worked. I went through a really tough period a few years ago, and I still remember a couple pivotal things that my therapist told me. Today, I'm feeling better than ever, and I'm not afraid to tell everyone that therapy played a really big role in that transition. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. Get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey, and you can switch therapists anytime. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash GML today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash GML. Yeah, for me, and this is uh, this is me talking, not speaking for you. I want a brand name on the box. I want to know. <laughs> I want to know who's going to get sued if there's some kind of poison other than the intended poison that's in the box. Uh, if right. there's some kind of fentanyl in there that's going to kill someone, I want to know who's going to be liable for that. I want to know whose company is going to be destroyed when that happens. I think you put a brand name on the box and you take care of all the dangerous uh, drugs that we have. I mean. You know what I mean by dangerous? I mean, alcohol yeah. is dangerous. Uh, Absolutely. Cigarettes are dangerous. But yeah, you know what I mean? The unintended Absolutely. danger. <laughs> well, the, the issue with drugs always is dose. You know, the difference between a poison and, and a treatment is dose. It, you, can, you can take aspirin and kill yourself with it. So you bring up, a, again, a great point about, you know, culpability, responsibility, product labeling, things that we kind of take for granted that really the free market would do anyway without having to have the FDA involved in it. But, you know, we have a chance to, 
get those quote unquote first time users and the people that are you know chronic users into a medical you know we have a we have a, a medical interception of that so a doctor doesn't have to say hey you know uh you got to stop using fentanyl a doctor can say hey i've noticed since your last visit two weeks ago you know you've increased the dose that you purchased would you like to talk about remediation issues would you like to talk about maybe possibly waning off this is this something you'd like to do and i think you give those people people that option because you know, when you talk to people who are chronic addicts on some of this, you know, stuff and these issues, they don't want to be doing this. They don't want, they, but they don't feel like they have any place they can go. And and so they're just they're 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 pushed into this underground black market that has incredibly bad unintended consequences. And and I believe again, legal regulated markets are a little more transparent. And I think that we can handle some stuff like that, man. Well, uh, so shifting gears a little bit, I noticed a couple things on the site. Uh, so you mentioned at the top term limits. And then you also talk about, uh, there's this non-compete against America act that I read into, uh, a little bit, and maybe we might disagree on a bit on this. I get the idea, but they seem like they're tackling symptoms of a much larger problem. And I'm sure you, I'm sure you know that, um, sure. do you, yeah. but do you think they would help us towards getting, uh, tackling that larger problem? So um, I've said it before, you know, uh, I'm from the South originally, and, and, you know, my grandmother would always say, if you don't want possums on the porch, you know, bring in the cat food, right? <laughs> if you don't want the things there, you bring, you take away the incentives that cause them there. You've nailed this on the head already, this issue. Um, I would like to ideally get the money and corruption out of politics, right? Um, there's no magic wand for that. I don't believe that I can wave and make it happen. I, I do think that we have a fundamental issue and a significant moral hazard when members in Congress who sit on committees for finance, banking, regulation, uh, appropriations are able to front run the American public for their own financial benefit, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where that non-compete against America Act comes from, which is, hey, this should be a, a position of service. You're gonna divest to cash, your husband's gonna divest to cash, your, your, your sons and your daughters are gonna divest to cash. And as long as you're serving this country, that's what you're going to do. You're going to serve this country. And then for three years after you leave office, we're not going to let you do that. And I think we have a lot of people just say, hey, I don't even know if we need term limits because they'd be like, there's no money here. <laughs> you know, they, they, would, they would, wouldn't even show up. And so, and again, the term limit thing is maybe another backstop on that. But you're right. Like it, they're dealing with symptoms. They're not really dealing with root cause. Again, root cause is so big in this issue and, and really so complicated that I don't even know a way to deal with it, but dealing with symptom by symptom at the time, honestly. Yeah. Uh, maybe you can kind of choke it off at the incentive level a little bit there by by preventing people from trading. Although Nancy Pelosi said that that's just the free market. So, yeah. which is ridiculous. Uh, uh, she, she uh, and again, it's it's common knowledge. She out-trades some of the best, oh, yeah. you know, quant algorithms on, on Wall Street. She's mm -hmm. uncannily good as a trader, they should, I mean, Michael Burry from, you know, the big short has nothing mm -mm. on Nancy Pelosi. Neither does Warren Buffett. No, nothing. <laughs> no, his returns yeah. are amazing. I, I didn't yep. realize how, how uh, genius she was, but she seems to know what's going to happen uh, before it yeah. happens. It's uh it's crazy. So just yeah. a market genie. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So I think we're, we are on the same page with that. You know, what sucks about the term limits thing. Every time I think about it, I think, wow, really? So by the time I started paying attention to politics, you're telling me Ron Paul wouldn't have been able to be in office at that time. I would have never yeah. heard of the guy. And that is a valid, valid point because what if the people want someone there for 20 years? Yeah. You know, and they, they legitimately do. And so it is a, it's a valid point. Yes. 
It's like, what if they're the best option? It's like saying, well, um, Amazon can only be the uh, biggest online retailer for for four years, and then we got to switch to something else. You know? Yeah. It's uh, I don't know, but the like you said, the problems are are so big. The problem is that the government has control over the economy and over every single part of our lives, and right. that is the problem that needs solving. That's a really big problem. That's going to take a long time uh, to roll back. Speaking of rolling stuff back, we talked about the IRS, the tax reforms. What are more common sense tax reforms with this incrementalist approach? So, I mean, you know, I I had the pleasure of being able to take over some failing businesses in my previous business career. And it was always the same. There would be a book value for the company or or the store, whatever I I was acquiring. And there would be this is how much we've been spending and this is how much we're taking in and we're not making those numbers match, right? And the first thing we'd ever do would be, well, let me verify that, right? So this gentleman is saying, these are the cost of his goods and inventory, this is the cost of his advertising, this is rent, insurance, yada, 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 whatever. And nine times out of 10, we'd say, this person's paying, overpaying for a commercial liability policy by 40% on the market. Um, this person has not negotiated with their landlord for a better rent. This person has has not you know negotiated with their vendors for you know bulk discounts and and volume credits and so that's kind of taken the cost basis out. I, I believe that that's triple blind forensic audits. We haven't had that of any federal spending. So before we even talk about the revenue side, which is taxes, let's talk about the spending side. Tell me the real number because I don't trust the government to tell me that number at face value. There has never, and I mean never, and I'll challenge your listeners, everybody watching. Just go on your Google machine and type in public audit fines. And the stories are infinite. Every time we audit some public agency or or, our office, even on a local level, we find massive fraud, waste and abuse. And I think on a federal level, we're going to find a ton of it. I mean, 30, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if half the money that we're spending is going to like $2,000 toilet seats and, and, you know, um, $10,000 iPads. Are you saying that we could get a a coffee mug for less than 10 (laughs) K? So that's kind of, that's the first thing, you know, it's, we, we talk a lot about taxes and revenue without talking about, and we talk about spending as if the number we're given is just a number. So that's, that's part of it. So a triple bond forensic audit, we have three forensic, you know, three auditing agencies, none of them know who they are. We should get three exact answers that match or are pretty close. Right. And that way we know. And so then on, and then, then we can deal with the revenue side of things, which is, okay, what, what is, how do we make these numbers balance? Where's it coming from? What's going on? And again, I believe that that number is going to come down quite a bit. But from a common sense perspective, um, part of kind of entitlement reform, for instance, you know, uh, Medicare, uh, $1.5 trillion is a Medicare budget. $750 billion of it is administrative costs. I, I, I've looked into the org chart for Medicare. I have, I've tried my best to figure out where that's going. I have a very difficult time understanding it. Um, that's one thing. Again, this Ponzi scheme we call Social Security. Working class people right now, while, you know, preparing for retirement is important and Social Security, in my opinion, is not retirement. Also, so is living. So I would like to see sort of annual raises of a, kind of a FICA floor, you know, uh, where there, there's, you know, you're not paying anything into these programs up until a certain amount. Um, and I think that's kind of how we start waning that side of the, of the curve off of, of the inputs. And then, of course, dealing with the other side of unwinding on the outputs. Um, I would like to see uh, reforms for, uh, you know, instant capital deductions for capital losses that are not being offset by capital gains. And the, kind of the reason why I think so is because we have sort of a mixed messaging from uh, our economic system. 
when the Federal Reserve causes these booms and bust cycles in the economy and people lose a lot of money, whether it's on a home that they have to sell at a loss or, you know, stocks that they have to liquidate at a loss, they're only able to take around $3,000 a year of those losses, right? Um, and I think that having that to where a person says, hey, I lost a hundred grand because you uh, SOBs here, you know, meddle with the economy. I'm writing all that off my taxes this year. So I, I'm a doctor, I made a hundred grand, but guess what? I lost a hundred grand in the market because of this, had to sell all this, You're, I'm not paying you anything. I think that's a good check and balance. Um, and again, it's simplifying the tax code in a way that, that is, uh, we're not walking through this legal minefield constantly. I'm dealing with it right now. I have an amended return from like three years ago that they have, they still haven't processed. Um, and they're still sending me letters saying, Hey, you owe us this money. And I'm like, hold on, you got the return, <laughs> like, yeah. you know? So it, it's an unfair system that doesn't align itself with Liberty. And again, I have a lot of tax reforms on there, but those are kind of the big three that I think makes sense. And, you know, it shouldn't be difficult for the American people to figure out what they quote unquote have to pay for extortion by the government. That shouldn't be difficult. Inputs are inputs, outputs are outputs. It should re be really simple and easy. I, I kind of like the idea sometimes of a fair tax. I toss that around, um, you know, but when the paradigm we're in and what we're going through, I think, again, simplifying it at first is probably the best step, in my personal opinion. Yeah, I, I like the fair tax the most also because it's uh, the only one, uh, consumption tax, right? That's Right, uh, yeah. That's It's the only one that you could possibly work your way out of it. You could eventually be self-sufficient and not need to worry sure. about that tax. So that's the one that you could actually uh, be able to get out of. And it is more voluntary, clearly, because you're just paying yep. when you when you buy things. So, But we're, uh, we're nowhere near completely switching our tax system right now. And you're going to have, and you'll have so much opposition from, again, you know, they're a very powerful, you know, cabal exists uh, to guarantee that they can, you know, encumber uh, the labor of future generations at, at the signing of Congresses today, right? So it's not going to be an easy fight. It sounds great. I would love to see some, even a voluntary um, consumption tax. Again, somewhat kind of like what Spike talks about with that voluntary transaction fee, where the market would say, hey, if you want participation in government and the protections of government, you can kind of pay this when you purchase something. If you don't, you don't have to. That's a great thing. I'd love to see that. But I think first, we probably have to do that on local levels. See state governments do that for their taxes and then prove to the American people in the public eye that we could do that on a federal level. Um, you know, a, a rabbit hole that people should really go down on, you know, down on, down to, <laughs> or, you know, they should go down is, is look at the, the propaganda of passing the 16th Amendment. Look at how the media of the time and the, and the Congress of the time was trying to sell that to the American people. And you're like, man, they've been lying a long, long, long time, you know? Yep. That's always how it starts. It's always yeah. what a, a 1% tax on the, on the top 1%. And it was just going to be maybe temporary. And yeah. just because we have tariffs and excises and we're trying to make your goods cost less money and this is going to be good for you. And, you know, it's really only going to be the big, big businesses that are going to pay it. Don't worry about it. You just give us this. And, and somewhere along the way, somebody forgot to put a limit on that amendment. You know, theoretically, we could, we could wake up tomorrow and the government owns everything you and I have has a mortgage on it. And that's completely 100% legal. Yep. The, uh, one of our, one of our friends, uh, Anthony Davies, he tells a story, uh, about uh, when they were debating this law or this amendment, someone stood up concerned and said that if we do this for all we know within the next five, 10 years, the tax rate could be blank percent. And I believe that number was five. 
Yeah. And, everyone, and he got laughed out of the room, basically. Like, we'll never do that. It was crazy. That was a crazy conspiracy theorist. Basically. And see, we go back to that concept of, again, that's a power issue to government that once it is, is an unjust one and there's no restraints on it and it's going to keep getting larger. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, again, that 16th Amendment, I think, should be something studied by every civics class in America, it, how it came to be, how it's been implemented, how it's grown. And I think young people will be like, wow, this government really doesn't give a damn about me. I'm like, no, they don't. <laughs> no, no, you're right. They care about yeah. winning elections. That's, that's uh, right. That's what yeah. they care about. Um, okay. It, we're half an hour in and we haven't talked about foreign policy, which okay, is the cool. whole video that I saw floating around the internet. And so we're in kind of a weird situation right now, uh, deciding sure. whether or not uh, we're going to go into an all-out war with Russia because of another country that I, I, I didn't know. I love, you know, I want everyone to be safe and free and have their own, uh, have their own country. But I didn't realize that I had, I had signed up for that, you know? Right. Yeah. So where do you come down on this mess that's happening? You're in Congress. What are you out there saying about Ukraine and Russia? I mean, again, this, I think it's important that we understand, you know, how we got here, you know, how this came to be. This is not, uh, I mean, again, what Putin is doing isn't great. And, 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 and Zelensky is also, in my opinion, a war criminal. And I have reason we can talk about that maybe off air for a while because it'll take a long time. But, you know, we've been fomenting this crisis essentially uh, through American funding of NATO since the, the, the day after the Soviet Union fell. It's like it falls in 91 and then we just we just start throwing the money. We're like, oh, yeah, we're not going to expand NATO, but we're going to keep on doing it. And and here we are now. And, and it's no coincidence, in my opinion, that, you know, the dust hadn't even settled on Kabul. And this was in the news. Right. And, you know, the truth is, is that Ukraine has kind of been going through its own little civil war since like, what, 2014, mm -hmm. 2015. Um, and so but now it's like we're picked up on, you know, when Dwight Eisenhower talked about warning the American people of the expansion of the military industrial complex, I personally believe what he was saying was he'd witnessed all this industry get very wealthy off war from World War II. And I think that he understood that businesses exist to continue their revenues. And that as soon as all these people made this massive amount of money, they were gonna make sure, lobby, do their best to make sure we stayed involved in conflicts. And I think that's been proven correct. You know, World War II was the last time we had an article, you know, one declaration of war by Congress. And then we jump into Korea, Vietnam, number of skirmishes from the Falklands, Granada, whatever else, you know, Desert Storm one, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan. At some point in time, it's when are we taking care of ourselves and, and when are we trying to be the world's police? And I, again, I think that's a fundamental question. And I, and I love asking voters that is, you know, what do you think the role of government is supposed to be? If you want it to be the world police of the world, well, then you're going to have to understand and accept the fact that it can't live within its means because we're only 350 million people out of 7 billion. So if you want to be the world's police, then you that's not going to work. And we can't do that. And, and we again, best is the enemy of good, right? Again, like you said, a best idea is, hey, the world's peaceful. We're going out there and we're stopping all the bad people out there that we think are bad, whatever else. But the good is that we need to take care of Americans and our veterans and um and when, again, I live in Little Rock, Arkansas, any major city in, in, in the country, and like, like Little Rock's a major city, but it's a major city in Arkansas. And, you know, I, I drive through downtown and it's not a day goes by. I don't see a homeless bear and not a day goes by. Um, and I, I just find that to be morally offensive. Um, and to me, it's really not a question of 
uh, of anything but taking care of our own at this point in time. We, we just have to, man. You know, is there any better representation of how the government really feels about its people than the fact that we have so many homeless veterans? Right. Uh, I mean, it's it's disgusting. Yeah. And, and this is not equipment. You know, this isn't like something we just didn't paint and let rust. Hmm. These are human beings. And um, I, I, again, so Nate, how old are you? I, I'm 40. How old are you? I'm 35. I'm oh, 35. OK, so you're a little bit younger. But, you know, when the Twin Towers fell and that whole situation, we'd have a, probably a long off air talk about that, too. <laughs> um, and, and again, trying to keep us out the algorithms here. Um, there was this real national push. I mean, it was it was almost literally I can still kind of feel what that felt like. Dude, I had there the paper, this, you know, the newspapers printed the American flag on the back page. Everyone had right. those those newspaper American flags up in the windows. I mean, we had them everywhere. It was a never forget. I mean, there was this there was this real sense of both unity, but also this push for kind of retribution. And there was a whole generation of young men who really felt that they were, you know, being called to this sort of, I mean, you know, very noble goal. And uh, was it or was it not that again, I don't believe that it was. And I think most veterans you talk to will tell you that they don't believe it was. But then for them to do that and then come back again with scars seen, unseen, or not come back at all and be treated just like refuse. Um, and then for our representatives to turn around and say, you know, I, I know that you're broken, damaged, and you need some help, and, and we we're and we're the reason you're broken and damaged. But you know what? We can't do that because we're sending a hundred billion dollars to this war criminal across the ocean. Um, again, I, I just don't see how that cannot anger pretty much any American citizen. Yeah, especially in the situation that we're even in as a country in our economy right now, the idea that we're sending billions of dollars over to another country. And we're, I don't know if everyone realizes the fact that we are currently fighting a war against Russia. We're just using right. other people wearing different uniforms to do it. And you think, yeah. that, you think that they're not going to remember that? For the rest of our lives, <laughs> you know. Uh, I mean, you know, I, you know, when um, I don't know what year it was, but I think it was in Poland or, or somewhere. We we put in like rocket launchers. Like this is like 15 years ago, and uh, they're they could they're capable of like normal rockets and also like nuclear weapons. And I remember thinking to myself, this is like the Cuban Missile Crisis just reversed. Mm -hmm. I mean, so how how do we not understand how we're perceived? And maybe we do. Maybe Congress does understand they have their perceived. But you know, I'm of the belief that. You know, infinite monetary printing and infinite war arise mutually. You know, they need each other. And uh, as long as there's kind of that, that sick symbiosis um, between, a, a, you know, a, a private central bank that can encumber debt upon generations, I think you're going to keep seeing this industrial military industrial complex fomenting war across the globe. So it really, honestly, if you want to solve it, talk about the issues that are causing it, we got to tackle both of those simultaneously. Um, and, and that's just my opinion. Yeah, you. So you mentioned the money printing. Do you think that that's a way to stop the endless war? Because it's got to be paid for. They're going to have to print money to do that. And uh, I guess with all the inflation we have going on, that's a good thing to kind of end on today. But what do we do about the monetary policy right now? Print more, right? I mean, people are having a hard time. We just print more money. Yeah. Well, I mean, so first off, you know, we we've used our military industrial complex to either export deflation or curb inflation. We've done that constantly with the boom and bust cycles. You can you can lay out a chart, uh, you know, of the American financial system and also lay out these these things. And this is kind of what we're doing. We got kind of stuck in a bond in 2008 a little bit. And so we kind of had that first real awakening for the American people where they go, wait a second, we're just going to start buying assets. Yeah. And we're just going to just write them off. There you go. And we're just going to hold them our books. And um, again, 
it's not a simple answer. First, reforming the tax code, removing revenues from the federal government. And then, you know, I, I think it starts with auditing the Federal Reserve. Uh, that's where it starts with first is let's audit it. Um, you know, let people know what's actually happening here. And, and again, waking people up to the fact that it's a private bank. And when you tell voters that, there's still people, you know, you and I know this, people <laughs> in the Libertarian Party know this. Uh, but I mean, nine out of 10 people I meet, they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, dude, they're a private company, man. That it just, it's like a payday loan company for the government. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, it's not, there's nothing federal about it, man. There's federal, federal express. And, and you get those wheels turning because some of this is not about just the people occupying office. This is about occupying the hearts and minds of the American people and, and waking the public up to what's going on. Um, and, and the moral hazard of having the ability to just encumber debt upon generations because it creates no necessary means for Congress to act right. And, and you can see that because they're not acting right. Um, if I have an infinite loan that I can always pull a line of credit from and I don't really have to be responsible for it, I have no incentive to make sure that my business works. I'm balancing my books or anything else, man. So, again, can can tomorrow, can Michael White go in the Fed? I would love to. Uh, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> okay? yeah. It's going to take a lot of time and it's going to take a, a lot of the public participation, honestly. Yeah, this all changes when the public changes when the hearts and minds change. These people are responding to incentives. The Fed printed the money and that's what gives us inflation, but they printed the money because the government is going to spend the money. The government spends the money because the people tell the government that they want them to spend the money, but they don't right. want, but they don't want to be taxed. They yeah. want, they, they want more money spent, but they don't want to tax. So the Fed, they come in, they print all this money. Well, also the Fed didn't make the decision to shut down the whole world's economy either. So, they, <laughs> yeah. and so this all changes when the people change because these politicians, other than you, are all just out there trying to buy votes from people. And sure. they're going to vote the way that the people that are going to keep them in office tell them to vote. And so I mean, ultimately, while, yeah. we can talk about getting the right people in there, but I mean... Yeah, libertarians take over everything. If the populace hasn't changed before that, they'll they'll get impeached in the first month. They'll all be out of there. The, Absolutely. The it, yeah. I mean, it took 250 years to get here in this republic. It's going to take time to unwind this. But, you know, one thing that I love about libertarianism is, is the concept, not just of personal liberty, but personal responsibility. You know, we get the government we deserve. And if, if people are not involved in that process, if they're not aware of what their government's actually doing, and they're just simply repeating whatever the talking picture box in their in their tell you know in their living room tells them. Um, you're going to continue to get these same things. So you're right, you nailed it. There's really not one bad actor. The truth is, this is a bad aquarium. There's not bad fish. We have a bad system. You know, we need a water change. You know. Yep. Yep. I love it. Uh, okay, so coming up on time here, we already sure. did the beard check. Beard's okay. good. We know that. <laughs> yeah. So the last thing we got to do is just you got to tell everyone what they could do to help you out and where they can go to do that. All right. So uh, again, my website is MW4Liberty, MW4Liberty.com. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook at MW4Liberty. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MW4Liberty. Give me a follow, give me a like, whatever you got to do. Um, share my messaging. If you want to throw a little donation to the campaign, we're coming up here on, on, on the end of this. We're spending a lot of money on, you know, digital ads, things like that. So, you know, $50, $100 helps out more than you could ever imagine. And, and I will tell people that I can't officially announce it because I don't have the ability to say so, but I, I intend on running perennially. So I intend on running again in this election and then again in 2024 and continue to build that namesake. So anything that you can do to help that, 
help grow a following, help get my name out there. I really appreciate it because it's not like the news organizations are falling over themselves to tell people about myself or limited government. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, Michael, thank you so much for your time today, man. That was a great talk and a, come back on again sometime. I would love to, Nate. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you so much.